This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. My name is Josh, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and co-founder of this podcast, Zach. Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing well. We've got the podcast juices flowing, Josh, since we just finished up a a recording for the podcast, your podcast that you do with Maureen, uh, on Tiger King. So go find that wherever you get your podcast, your listeners. Find the podcast and go listen to us talk about Tiger King. All right. Thank you for that plug. I love that. Well, today we are going to be talking about season three, episode six. The title of the episode is called Sunset. I think this is a this is pretty good episode. I think that we we have gotten to a place in in the season where we are starting to ramp up the energy and sort of the the intensity of certain things. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this episode makes it very clear. There's some big things that happen here that we'll talk about uh, and a great new character is introduced as well. Absolutely. I do have to admit one thing before I go into our two-minute Wikipedia summary. When I watched this episode for the first time, it was immediately after we recorded season three, episode five. Okay. And it was kind of late at night on my end. And I'm not going to lie, I fell asleep in the middle. Oh, man. During one of the scenes that you're going to talk about. But but I did go back and rewatch it later. So I, I did see the whole episode again. And I have seen it before. But there is a there is a slow period in the middle of the episode that we're going to talk about, and I think you have some insight into that. So when we get there in just a moment, you will expound on that. But I do think that the the beginning and the end of the episode are, are very interesting and very fast paced and exciting. So and and it's definitely going to propel us into the rest of the season, which is very exciting and upbeat and and uh, and fascinating as well. All right, should we move into our two-minute Wikipedia summary, and then we'll give our grades on how this one was written? Let's do it. All right, so the two-minute Wikipedia summary of Sunset. It goes like this. Walt settles into his new surroundings and takes a liking to his new lab assistant, Gail. That sounds uh, no like... Context, no context there. <laughs> it sounds... So first of all, Gail is one of those kind of ambiguous names. It could be a girl, right? I mean, this could be yeah. like <laughs> Walt has a crush on his new lab assistant uh, <laughs> and is, you know, going to have an affair with her. No, Gail's actually a man. But this sounds yeah. like, you know, a high school student, right? Who's like, you know, so-and-so takes a liking to his new lab partner. <laughs> like you're paired <laughs> up with somebody and... Yeah, okay. This does not bode well for a grade that we're dissecting it Off after Off to one a sentence. strong start. I will say that. All right, back to the two-minute summary. Walt Jr. wants answers about his parents' relationship. Walt realizes that Hank has discovered where Jesse has kept the RV and therefore meets up with Jesse. However, Hank finds the RV with both Walt, with both Walt and Jesse locked inside. The two, quote, cooks, end quote, avoid being discovered and manage to draw Hank away with the assistance of Saul Goodman, who has his secretary call Hank, claiming that Marie has had an accident. As Hank realizes the ruse, Walt and Jesse have the RV crushed to destroy the evidence. Gus, realizing that Tuco's two cousins definitely want to kill Walt, successfully turns their attention instead to Hank. As Hank has had has as Hank has as Hank had been the one who actually pulled the trigger on Tuco. Wow, that was a mouthful. That and really I'm gonna was. say that that was because it was badly written. Yeah, I think that's okay. right. Okay. Zach, what is your grade for this? Wikipedia summary. I think this is a D minus, Josh. This is bad. This is bad. This is this really is very bad. bad. 
I mean, there's a number of things. We have the appearance of the Walt Comma Jr. again. I'm wondering if we have the same writer as the uh, the previous one where we found a Walt Comma oh, Jr. Oh, gosh. So yep. the first sentence, we talk about Walt. And then the second sentence has this throwaway sentence about Walt Comma Jr. And then the third sentence, we're back to Walt. Big Walt again. So yeah, that's confusing. Very confusing. I love the quote cooks in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of the paragraph uh and there's also this this line that sounded very strange when you read it as hank realizes the ruse to to <laughs> to re- <laughs> that doesn't make any sense you can recognize a ruse you can realize that you've been the victim of a ruse but you don't really realize a ruse yeah unless you're making a ruse real in which case you'd be the one perpetrating or advancing the ruse rather than being the yeah. victim of it so that was pretty poor as well the, the whole thing about the, quote, cooks, end quote, the thing about that is that that, re- that reminds me of someone who's, like, used the same word too many times, and they have to come up with a different way to describe them. Like, he said Walt and Jesse too many times, so he has to come up with a new way to describe them, and he goes with cooks. I think that's right, he doesn't, yeah. wa- he doesn't want you to be confused that they're actually chefs in a kitchen. Right, they're, quote, cooks, because they right. don't cook exactly. food, <laughs> they cook they drugs. They cook meth, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, D minus for me. This is bad, too, because it's out of order. So like the whole I, I know they're trying to simplify it for the reader, but the the whole thing about Chuko's cousins, they show up at the beginning of the episode. They're in the middle of the episode. They're also at the end of the episode. It's not just that they show up and Gus says, oh, you should turn your attention to Hank. It's that they're basically stalking Gus at Los Pueros Hermanos and they're waiting for him to, because they're becoming impatient. They want to kill Walt. And and as we learned in a, a couple episodes ago, they want to do it now. And, and Gus has sort of put them off for now, but they're basically stalking him, which is totally not related in this summary. So yeah, well, that's and, another bad thing. And after we have the sentence where Hank realizes the ruse, we have the sentence that says Gus realizing that Tuco's two cousins definitely want to kill Walt because apparently he didn't realize that when the two cousins <laughs> told him we want to kill Walt <laughs> several episodes exactly. ago. So, yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe Gus is faking his Spanish. He doesn't <laughs> really said. understand anything, anything that people are saying. <laughs> I also think that they completely sort of gloss over this whole thing with Gail, which like the introduction of Gail and sort of Walt in the lab with Gail is a big part of the episode. It, it might be 10 minutes of the 47 minute episode. And here it's just that Walt has taken a liking to Gail. That's yeah, not exactly. that's not very descriptive. I would also give it a D minus. This one's okay. bad. Good. This well, maybe we should right, use Zach, your comment about Gale as a jumping off point for the rest of our discussion. Yeah, do, you, do you have any broader thoughts and themes that you came up with when you were watching this episode? Yeah, well, uh, you just alluded to this new character, Gale. So Gail Bedecker is a lab assistant who is educated at the University of Colorado, I believe, for his master's degree. Uh, yeah, so that's right. Go Colorado. Uh, love the altitude and mountains and sunshine and all that. Um, very and helpful Gail, that he gave Walt his resume yes that was really that was really I mean he's funny I mean he's he's clearly an eccentric guy he's very like put together Walt even asks him like why are you doing this when you could be pursuing an academic career or whatever and Gail right. Gail's answer is interesting and it's actually part of uh, part of what I want to talk about here but um, but yeah so Gail is this this figure who is very well put together uh, dresses even well kind of wears slacks and button downs for quote work here uh, as a quote cook <laughs> Um, and, uh, he also wears like open toed sandals, you know, just kind of a, an eccentric <laughs> guy. He, he has this, uh, sophisticated chemistry setup with beakers and uh, all kinds of things for, uh, making coffee and he makes coffee perfectly. You know, Walt says it's the best cup of coffee he's ever had, et cetera. Um, but Walt asks him why he's doing this and 
uh, Gail basically responds with this extended dialogue about why he's doing it. But it's not really a dialogue that's so didactic that he just says, this is why I'm doing it. He tells kind of a story and, and shares how this poem meant a lot to him. And the poem is When I Heard the Learned Astronomer by Walt Whitman. Walt, Walter White, uh, had, you know, is not very familiar with poetry, probably not familiar at all with the work of Walt Whitman. And so he asks Gail to recite this poem. And Gail says, you know, it's super lame, but I actually do have it memorized, so I can do that for you. And instead of playing the, this, the extended scene where Gail uh, recites the poem, I'll just read it to you here. Uh, it's really good, and I think we're, we're getting at something important about this episode. And Walt Whitman is going to be a recurring motif in the show, too, so his name will, will come back, because this has an impression, or makes an impression on Walt as well. So the poem goes like this, When I Heard the Learned Astronomer by Walt Whitman. When I heard the learned astronomer, when the proofs, the figures, were ranged in columns before me, when I was shown the charts and diagrams to add, divide, and measure them, when I, sitting, heard the astronomer where he lectured with much applause in the lecture room, how soon unaccountable I became tired and sick, till rising and gliding out I wandered off by myself in the mystical moist night air, and from time to time looked up in perfect silence at the stars. So Gail's point, I think, I think, and Josh, you can tell me if you have a different takeaway here. Gail's point, I think, is that, you know, he was pursuing the academic life in chemistry. He was chasing the hard science and doing all the number crunching and formula chasing. Um, and it just wasn't enough for him, right? Just like this, this character who hears the learned astronomer and gets sick because it's all sort of sterile. It's all just, you know, columns and figures and tables and the great nature of existence reduced to numbers on a blackboard. That's not enough for the protagonist in the, or the narrator in the poem here. So he goes outside and just sort of basks in the glory of, of reality as it is or as he perceives it. And I think Gail's point is similar, right? That like just doing the academic thing just chasing chemistry wasn't enough for him. He needed to, you know, to enjoy the pleasures of life. Now, obviously, he's enjoying the pretty perverse pleasures of life, uh, you know, doing something that is uh, kind of the forbidden fruit, right? Using his chemistry experience to cook meth in a lab. But he's also, it's freed him up to live life the way he wants to live it. Now, I'm not certainly not condoning the way he wants to live his life, but just the example of his coffee setup, he has this very elaborate coffee setup that rivals the setup they use to cook meth, and he's used it to roast and brew his coffee. Uh, and, and that's how he is, is finding, finding uh, happiness or satisfaction in what he does. And we'll, we'll learn more about this character. He delves into poetry. Uh, he's a classical music aficionado, and we find all this out as the, as the story goes on. But that is Gail Bedecker. And everything he says to Walt about this really kind of captures Walt's attention. And Walt doesn't exactly know what to do about that. But I almost wonder if it is a revelation to Walt, not because it's a brand new idea for him, but because it gives voice to Walt or for Walt, uh, reflecting something that Walt himself has been feeling but doesn't know how to, how to say. You know, so um, think back to the first episode, Josh, when Jesse asked, or uh, the first season, when, jo when Jesse asked Walt, why are you doing this? And Walt said, I am awake. As if, you know, suddenly he was realizing that, like, the, the sterility of his sort of chemistry-dominated life, uh, the routine and patterns of it all, were not enough for him, and now he needed to taste life, you know, to its fullest. Now, obviously, his view of life to its fullest, uh, chasing this thing and going outside the bounds of law enforcement, not what we would, we would consider to be a life lived to the fullest. But I think he's searching for something, 
just like Gail Bedecker. I think he's searching for something beyond the sort of like immediate hustle and bustle, uh, you know, the columns and tables and figures arranged before me that the narrator in The Learned Astronomer talks about. So Gail, I think, is a very useful character here, both because he teases out some of these attributes in Walter, but also because for us, the audience, he kind of gives voice to these deep emotions that are that are resonant within Walt and that we wouldn't otherwise hear Walt hear Walt get. Uh, and so Walt likes this so much he goes and picks up a copy of, uh, of Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, uh, the poetry anthology of, of Walt Whitman's work, uh, and begins reading it. So again, I think, you know, Gail Bedecker is not giving Walt a new idea, but giving him, giving voice to these ideas that Walt has been wrestling with for some time, even if it's been subconscious. Okay, so I have a couple of things I want to say. The first is, just for our audience, that was your your nominee for, or pick for best writing the 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 poem scene oh sorry yeah that wasn't totally clear yeah no i just i just wanted to point out for audience the second thing i want to say is that when i was in college i took a couple english classes and i was always nervous when we got to poetry because i was always really nervous about uh, you know misinterpreting you know there's this idea that that oftentimes poetry can be interpreted in a number of ways but i always felt uh, not as smart as the rest of the class or the professor because i never could properly interpret interpret the poem so when you first brought this up on the outline i was like really nervous because i was like oh my gosh zach's gonna ask me what what my interpretation of the poem is i'm gonna look like an idiot but hearing you read it again and not listening to gail do it while i this is the point where i fell asleep the first time i tried to watch the episode rewatched it again and then hearing you say it again, I have a I have a slightly different perspective on the poem. So you yeah, tell please. me, tell me, you tell me if this is 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 off base. So my interpretation of the poem is that the character in the poem is listening to this this uh, this astronomer teach in class, and and he, as you noted, is is bored of of sort of he gets bored of of sort of the academic rigor of just looking at equations and and numbers and whatever on a chalkboard and so he goes out into the world to sort of explore and your interpretation of the second part is that gail likes this poem and the reason that he wants to produce meth is because he wants to sort of live his life as the character in the poem as you've interpreted here wants to just go out and observe you know, the world as it is. My interpretation of the end of the poem is that the reason that the character in the poem wants to go out into the world is because he wants to, he, he, he essentially wants to explore a real world application of what he was hearing in the class. And so that's why when you hear him say, uh, you know, he would wander by himself and that he would look up into the night air and, and look up in perfect silence at the stars because the stars are the real world uh, version of what he was learning in the classroom. So my interpretation of how this relates to Gail is that he's interested in cooking the meth and being involved in this because it's a real world application of something he learned in school. My question to you is that, or my question broadly is, Will at some point Gale and ultimately Walt become sort of uninterested in this because ultimately it will boil down to formulas and sort of rote work because the production of the blue meth is the same every time. So yes, they are using the academic information that they've gained in in school and in study to produce a product, but ultimately will it become 
something that is lacking for them because it is the same over and over and over. And so I think what we don't see in the poem and what we don't get to with Gail here is that the poem ends on almost this hopeful thing. Like I have the whole world in front of me. Like I have all these stars in the sky to study, but ultimately all of that becomes academic as well, as opposed to trying to come up with something new. And so I wonder if the character of Gail and the character of Walt will ultimately want to try something new or feel the need to try something new. Like this won't totally satisfy them. Yeah. I, I like your interpretation and I don't think our interpretations are mutually exclusive. The, the one okay. thing I would say like tweaking yours is I don't think it's about real world application of the science. I think it's about just being in the real world. So if you, if you listen to that, uh, that last, that last line of the poem, uh, gazed up and per- looked up in perfect silence at the stars. There's no action there, right? It's just about being in in the world and looking up at the stars and sort of marveling at them. And I think the the reason why I think they're you know your interpretation and mine are not ex- mutually exclusive is because what I'm saying and what you're saying I think are fundamentally the same thing, right? That these guys get this guy gets bored in class and realizes that like I need to be in the real world. I need to be someplace where the stakes are real, where the risks are real, where the danger is real, uh, where the you know the majesty, the grandeur is real, rather than just reduced to numbers on a chalkboard. Uh, I mean, I said that uh, Gail, Gail's character has gone to grad school in Colorado, so he knows what it's like to be in the Rocky Mountains, right? And, you know, it's kind of like, why would you, why would you be content with, um, you know, running on a treadmill and doing a Peloton class when you could be doing a trail run, you know, outside, out there, right? Where, yeah, there's real risks, right? You could get like sunburn, probably a greater likelihood of dehydration, maybe, you know, a mountain lion attacks you, et cetera. But there's something that, you know, grips the human spirit doing something like that as opposed to the sort of sterility of a treadmill. Um, and I think that's kind of what's going on here. Now, your point is really good, though, about like, will the chemistry be enough for them? And I think we're already seeing Walt get kind of dissatisfied with that, right? When he came back into the business uh, and told Gus that he was not happy with Jesse's inferior product and Gus doing business with Jesse, et cetera, and Gus was trying to manipulate him to get Walt back in the game, uh, Gus was like, well, so was I right? You know, this is, did it, did it poke your pride enough? And Walt's like, absolutely not. This is just about the chemistry, right? So he's like even telling himself this lie that it's just about the chemistry, but really we know the truth. Having watched, you know, Walt slash Heisenberg go through this process multiple times now where he's out of the game and then back in it, he does have pride and the chemistry is not enough for him. He does desire more. He wants more money. He wants more power. He wants people to recognize that he is the great Heisenberg, et cetera. And so I think you're right, Josh, the, the chemistry quickly loses luster. Uh, even, even if the chemistry is not constrained by these traditional sort of classroom blackboard theoretical boundaries, and it's doing real world stuff with real risk and danger, the, the human spirit still wants more, you know, to, to go ever, ever deeper and to up the ante ever more. I guess my the difference in my interpretation is that I'm I'm sort of looking a little bit beyond what is written in the poem and sort of trying to understand yes that's the end of the poem but that's not the end of the life of the character and I always think back to the Robert Frost poem uh the the one that ends uh, two roads diverged in a yellow wood and I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference well like most people look at that poem as a happy ending or sort of like oh wow it's a really hopeful ending but it might not be and sort of, it's sort of open to interpretation how you take the next steps of that character. Was the road less traveled by really the best path for him? Right. We don't know. And and I think that when you, you there are possibilities to sort of look at what comes beyond just solely what is written and sort of look forward 
to what could be interpreted after that. But I think your point's well taken that based on what is written and what's said in the in the show, and we've really gone down a rabbit hole with poetry here, that that you're probably right, that it it is really is meant to be emblematic of the fact that Gail wants to be involved in in something that is interesting and risky and and real world applicable. So I think that's 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 well taken. But before we go too far further into poetry, I will give my best writing scene. And this one is a little bit more lighthearted and fun. This is a, a scene between Walt and Saul on the phone. And we're going to hear a little bit of their conversation here. I mean, what the thing, the thing is, is the size of a, of a it's RV size. I mean, where do I go to make an RV disappear? I'm not David Copperfield. What do I look like? The RV disposal people? Did you not plan for this contingency? No. Well, next time plan for it, would you? Starship Enterprise had a self-destruct button, I'm just saying. Okay, oh, shut up. Oh, I I just, look, the reason I picked this as my best writing is is simply because Walt usually goes to Saul for, for problems, and yeah. Saul is giving him absolutely nothing here, but it's just done in such a comedic way. Like, Walt is exacerbated, like, he he just, he's exasperated, what is the term, exacerbated? Exasper- exasperated, yeah exasperated sorry he's he's exasperated and he just can't he's like Saul you're supposed to be fixing this problem what he really needs is the fixer Mike but Mike's nowhere to be found and and it's just funny I I I picked the scene mainly because I think the dialogue is really sharp and it's funny but it's also points to the fact that Walt is not getting what he needs from Saul and I always find that interesting when characters do not deliver on the way they're supposed to because could that play a role in the future? Possibly. Is, is Walt going to trust Saul to do what he needs to do? And we'll see later in this episode that Saul is able to come through for Walt in a more dramatic and and uh, devious way. We already heard that in the the summary where, where Saul is going to facilitate a fake call from a fake hospital person to say that Marie's been in an accident so that Hank you know, leaves the RV and they can dispose of it. But I just found that that writing really funny and really enjoyable. Yeah, I totally agree. One thing I didn't notice on the watch, but it's more obvious in the audio itself, is how quickly the camera cuts back and forth from Walt to Saul. And it's subtle, but that really serves to sort of accelerate the pace of the conversation. Uh, But if you listen to the audio, you'll hear, you know, when someone's voice is clear, the camera's on them. When it sounds like they're talking through a telephone, the camera's on the other person, right? And so almost mid-sentence, they're splicing or, or cutting from Saul to Walt, you know, back to Saul, et cetera. Uh, and it's just it's just really quick, witty back and forth between the two of them. And, and I agree. It's it's pretty great. I just love the ending. Oh, just shut up. <laughs> yeah, and he just hangs, hangs up the phone and and goes on his own way. All right. Great. So let's move on to the best scene, which is what follows that conversation between Walt and Saul. And this is the biggest uh, centerpiece of the of this episode. And it's sort of how they're going to destroy this RV and basically Jesse leads Hank to the RV and they're going to have a confrontation. And I think this is really important because, you know, Walt and Jesse are stuck inside the RV. Hank is basically trying to force his way in. And then they have this savior, the junkyard guy. I don't, does he have a, does the character have a name? I know I he, so. he, he appears again in, in El Camino, the Breaking Bad yep. movie yep. briefly as a cameo. But he basically says like, look, you can't force your way in. You need a warrant. Yep. And, and, you know, there's this whole like standoff here and they have to find a way out. And ultimately, Walt resorts to this really devilish thing of like faking that Marie has been seriously injured in a car accident. 
you know, it's it's one of those like self-preservation moments again. Walt Walt does sort of like an evil thing for himself. It's very selfish and like you don't see Jesse making a call to do that and maybe it's because you know, Walt has the personal relationship with Hank, but it's just another example of Walt sort of stooping to the lowest common denominator to get out of a situation. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. Uh, I love this scene and picked it as best scene as well, just because uh, it's. It, I think it's a feat. Anytime you have a tense scene with good dialogue in a small confined space, taking taking three of the strongest actors in the entire series and putting them there in a, in a tinderbox, essentially. Uh, and they pull it off really well, and they pack a lot of development in there as well. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we have Jesse and his funny uh, domicile comments. We have um, Walt and his absolutely devastating request to Saul to call and pretend like Marie's been in an accident and has been medevaced, et cetera. Just a lot going on in this scene, and I thought it was very well done all around. And even worse that Walt makes that call because he already knows that Hank is struggling with like PTSD. Yeah. And so he, I think he, he knows and is aware that this will further damage Hank's psyche. Oh no. But doubt. he does it. He does it anyway. I mean, really Walt at this point has no choice or he will be found out because basically Hank is waiting there for a warrant to be delivered, to be let in and they have to find a way to get rid of him. So, you know, Walt feels like he's stuck between a rock and a hard place and ultimately goes with, you know, he's he's far down this path of destructiveness already and he just continues down that path. But this is certainly the centerpiece of the episode and and I agree, super tense, very well done and you know, you're not really sure how they're going to get out of it, but Walt finds a clever but evil way of of doing that. All right, Zach, should we move on to our best moment? Because that was both of our best scenes here. We both have a, we have a different best moment, and I think they sort of speak to two different things. So do you want to kick us off with your best moment? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is, it's very brief, uh, and I'll just play the dialogue here real quick, and then we'll talk about it. El nombre de la gente es Hank Schrader. Que su muerte les satisfaca. So that was Gus talking to the cousins. He says the agent's name is Hank Schrader. And then the really chilling line that ends the episode, may his death satisfy you. <laughs> so uh, pretty brutal. Um, and this, I think, illustrates you know the depths to which uh, Hank has really now stepped in it. Or, I'm sorry, Walt has really stepped in it. And his actions have led to the uh, direct danger that his family or at least extended family here are in. Um, I think it's well acted, and I just uh, I love the Spanish there. I'm a I love I love the sound of Spanish as a language. I just think it's it's beautiful and poetic. Uh, and Gus delivers the lines very well, and it's a chilling way to end the episode. So I think that is my nominee for best moment. Well, you are our Spanish expert on the podcast uh, indeed, of, and, uh, of the correct. two of us. See, see, that is correct. See. <laughs> Muy bueno. Well, I, yes. the, the other, the reason that I like this, this, I, this nominee is best moment is because we have really not seen much of this side of Gus before, and oftentimes he's very, uh, he's very put together, he's very calm, but this is a really like sinister moment that he has. You know, like may his death satisfy you is really like chilling, brutal, as you yeah. said way to put something it's not just like will this will this you know be okay with you it's really like a really evil thing to say and a and a really terrible way to say it and i like that we get these moments with gus because sometimes i think you're lured into this idea that 
maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. He doesn't seem to be, you know, doing anything that bad. He's very kind with his employees at his restaurant. And, but, but, but these moments seem to illustrate to the audience that yes, he is, he is not the, the kind person that you might think he is, even if he donates to Walt's cancer fund when he's visiting Hank. All right, my best moment for this scene is something that happens at the beginning of the episode, but I think it illustrates an interesting character dynamic. This is a phone conversation between Walt and Skylar. We're going to hear the end of that conversation here. Last thing, and then I'll let you go. Um, In the child support worksheet, you list medical, dental, child care, transportation, housing, education, food, clothing. That's right, all of it. Walt. No. Skylar, you wanted me out. I'm out, but I will provide for my family. Not with that money. You'd be making us accessories after the fact. Skylar, how do you think we've been paying our bills these last six months? I have to go. So the reason that I like this as sort of a best moment is because... In the past couple episodes, we've been seeing this back and forth between Walt and Skylar and sort of like the who has the upper hand. And clearly here, Walt has figured out a way to get the upper hand back. And the way that he's done it is in a really like underhandedly super like negative way. And that's that he's given Skylar what she wants, which is a divorce. But he's going to continue using the drug money to pay and support the family, which she absolutely hates. And I love how she tries to throw out this idea like, oh, I learned this thing from a lawyer. We will be accessories after the fact. Didn't you know that? And he's like, too late. You already are. And I just think that this watching this dynamic back and forth, which will continue this season and in future seasons is just really interesting to watch. And I think it's another example of Walt's sort of pride and ego getting the best of him because also right after this phone conversation, he's standing waiting to basically sign a lease or or rent an apartment. And he tells the guy who's renting the apartment that he's going to rent the model apartment. And it's just sort of like a continuation of that. Like I'm better than you and I'm going to get what I want. And I will rent the model with this model furniture in it. If I want to. Yeah. I mean, what's his line? He's like, what, what in life is not for sale or something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Basically what can't be bought with money. Yeah. And he wants the model apartment. So it's just, you know, like it illustrates the, the sort of shift back to like Walt as he feels like he has the upper hand, you know, he's going to prepare to go to work and cut the crusts off his bread and, and go work in the lab with Gail. And like, I like how you see that side of him. And then at the end of the episode, he's spiraling out of control because there's something that happens with the RV that is truly, you know, puts him in danger. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good scene. Zach, any nits to pick? Um, I don't think I have any nits to pick in this episode, Josh. How about you? I have two small ones. The first one is that towards the beginning of the episode, Jesse is trying to revamp his meth operation and he brings badger and skinny pete over for a little (laughs) little taste of little taste of the meth yeah it's a fair net to pick and uh badger tries the meth and he immediately gets up and starts river dancing which i don't know how drugs work but i do they hit you that fast like is that how it works like he basically gets up and he looks like he's high on life 
and Jesse does have a great line, which is don't scuff the floors, which is yeah, hilarious yeah. because he's pretty destructive in every other aspect of his life, but he wants his newly polished floors. But that was the one of the question where, where I thought you were going with this knit is why is he trying to jumpstart his operation with Badger and Skinny Pete, which I think would be a fair <laughs> yeah, knit fair. as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is fair. Uh, the other knit to pick that I have is that the th- when they are found out by Hank and, and Jesse's sort of hiding in the RV and Walt hiding in there too. The person who bails them out is this guy who works at this junkyard who appears to have like a lot of legal knowledge. And it just seems a little bit too convenient that this guy would know exactly like, oh, you can't enter without a warrant. And oh, it's, you know, you can't look in it just because it's a vehicle because it's not moving. Did you see it moving? And I was like, okay, I love this as a scene. It's a really engaging scene, but it just seems out of nowhere that this character we've never met all of a sudden bails them out, you know, from having Hank, you know, bust in there and, and, and bust them right there. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a good one. Okay, so I think that's everything we have except for our MVP for this this episode. Zach, do you have an MVP candidate for this episode? I do. Well, we spent that extended time talking about Gail Bedecker and how he's kind of teasing out some of these things in in Walt's life. So I'm going to go with Gail for this this vote. I'm not sure if he'll earn my vote again, um, but I think for this episode introduction, you know, it's a, it's an especially strong introduction that that brings out some character development in a major character. So for this episode, I will give it to Gail Bedecker. And also, you know, he's from Colorado, so it's good. I thought you were going to go with Walt Jr. for his poignant scene with with Walt in the car as they drive to school. You know, I thought about it. Uh, I thought about it, but then I remembered how you said he can never get one. So uh, <laughs> I, I decided against it. Exactly. I will also <laughs> go with Gail here. It, it was only on the rewatch when I rewatched it again after having fallen asleep that I that I understood his impact on this episode, as well as sort of the broader narrative of the season. So Gail gets my vote as well. All right. right. Well, that's a wrap, Zach, I guess. Anything else? Yeah. Anything else on this episode? No. Uh, just want to say thanks again for doing this, Josh, and tell our listeners that we're going to try to um, stay on schedule despite an, a major upcoming life event for you, Josh. I, have we talked about that on this podcast yet? I don't think so. Well, uh, now's as good a time as ever to let people know I will be going into the meth cooking business. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, my wife is having our second child, and unlike the uh, the negative influence that Walt had on his second child, uh, I will hopefully be there for the birth yeah, of, that's, uh, of my mean, second child. So you will not miss the birth for recording a podcast? Is that what you're saying? That's right. That's right. Okay. So uh, yes, I will hopefully be there. So we're going to try to do our own personal four days out and record a bunch of these episodes ahead of time and, and get them in the hopper for you guys. So once a week, we will have an episode for you until I'm off of my uh, break from podcasting. And, uh, but we'll be back next week on schedule, hopefully with season three, episode seven, one minute until then I am Josh and I'm Zach. Talk to you then. And I will say, that if the baby comes early, Josh, it'll just be me just monologuing about <laughs> episodes of Breaking Bad until you're back. So our listeners, have, our, listeners have, our listeners have that to look forward to. So they will all hope that the baby arrives on time and not early. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>